Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Yo, yo. How's everybody doing today? Welcome back. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I, of course, am your host, the one and only voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. And how is everybody doing on this Monday? Whew, better than the stock market, I hope, and the bond market. Things are taking a beating this Monday. It might be one of those Black Mondays that lives in infamy. Um, there is a, still a lot of fear about this coronavirus going on. If you pull up anything on the internet or you put uh, anything on TV, the headlines are coronavirus and stock market crash, bond market crash, oils plummeting, the end of the world is here, and... Um, you know, I hate to say I told you so. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I don't think we're there yet, but, but things are certainly not looking good on any of those fronts. You know, this coronavirus thing, it, it really is unbelievable. And, you know, I haven't talked about it much on the show. For, for one reason, you know, I don't, I don't know that much about it. I know probably just about as much as anybody else does. And I just, I still think the actual virus itself is being way overblown. And it's very irresponsible of this corporate press to just be bombarding people with these headlines. Like, this is the end of the world. If you listen to a doctor or a physician talk about this, it's, yes, it can be serious if, if you are, if you have a, a compromised immune system, you're very old, maybe you're very young, it can be very serious. And, you know, if every old person in an area gets it, that will overwhelm the hospital and medical facilities. That's another problem. Uh, I, I keep hearing all these retarded arguments for, in light of the coronavirus, we, this is uh, why we need universal health care. The hell are you talking about? First of all, how are all these countries with universal health care doing? Because um, Italy, universal health care, has the highest death rate of anybody with the coronavirus. They're in shambles. They're overwhelmed. How's that guaranteed hospital bed working out? How's that guaranteed health care that Bernie Sanders always talks about? Huh? What happens when the government facilities are overrun and, and they can't meet the demand? What happens to that guarantee? And then the other thing is just when you have universal health care and, and people aren't paying for anything directly, well, they're, uh, they're going to be more inclined to use stuff 
to use services that may not be necessary, further putting strain on the healthcare industry. So that just exacerbates the problem already of shortages, of not enough beds for all these sick people. And all of these places where the, the virus is running rampant, they all have some sort of government-run healthcare. China, Italy, France, all of Europe, really. I mean, okay. <laughs> have fun getting that guaranteed healthcare. But anyway, in terms of I guess maybe some of it's just because it's we don't really un, we don't really know what this is. It's a new virus, and everything that's new and unknown is scary. But you know, if if I ran a, a media company and every day I just reported on the deaths of people that, that had the flu or a flu-related death, I'd be talking about thousands of people every day. I mean, this is this is nothing compared to that. I, if you look it up, there's something anywhere between 300 and 600,000 people die every year from the flu uh, uh, across the globe. Okay, so we split the difference, call it, what, I don't know, 450. Oh, oh okay. So um, if, if every day the, the, the first 25 headlines on any news site were reporting the deaths or how many new cases there were, how many more people have that have the flu. It's just that we know the flu. We're used to it. You get sick for a couple days. You get a fever. You don't feel too well. And, and then you're over it. The vast majority of us, it's just something that we've come to expect. So it's, it's, it doesn't scare us as much as this new coronavirus. But man, it, you know, if, if they reported on the flu the way they report on this coronavirus, everybody would be freaking out all the time. And, you know, you're starting to see people in the U.S. really start to uh, go crazy with this. I, I joked last time about them running to Costco. That hasn't stopped at all. That hasn't subsided. It, they're they're uh, doubling down on that. They're buying up all the hand sanitizers and the toilet paper, and there are shortages now. And it, it really, um, you know, it, it does it does give you a glimpse into how people will react when shit hits the fan, as they say. And you you do want to be prepared for that. It, it doesn't do you much good. At, at this point to be to be stocking up on toilet paper um I, I don't understand what the big fear of that is but uh, um we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that today a little bit about the markets and a little bit about politics we had we had some new developments since my last podcast and the biggest one being that Pocahontas the last Indian in the race, last female Indian in the race, who some, uh, I guess everyone just assumes the last female running for the Democratic primary has dropped out. I guess Tulsi Gabbard just doesn't count. <laughs> so we'll get into that. You know, the whole media reaction to it is really something else. And all of a sudden, the Elizabeth Warren campaign was all about uh, getting a woman to be president like she talked a little bit about it but now it's like oh well this just proves now that elizabeth warren dropped out this proves how sexist america is and 
I, I don't know if we'll ever get to see a woman president and this is the end of the world because Elizabeth Warren, who apparently was the perfect woman for the job and the, the only explanation for voters not voting for her was because she was a woman all of a sudden. This is all what all the reporting's about. I see people on Facebook, you know, some friends of a friend where uh, uh, these, these girls were posting of how disappointed they were and how dejected they felt. And they were just oh, at a loss for words on the verge of tears that Elizabeth Warren dropped out of the race. Look, Elizabeth Warren should have dropped out of the race before any of those other people did before Super Tuesday. I talked about that on the last episode. If she really wanted to do Bernie Sanders a favor, she should have dropped out on Sunday before Super Tuesday so that all of these all of these people could get their Medicare for all and their free college and their free everything, right? There are a number of reasons to not vote for Elizabeth Warren and why everybody automatically goes to the woman thing is beyond me. I mean, first of all, more than half the United States population is made up of women and an even larger percentage of Democratic voters are women. They make up well more than half of the Democratic primary voters. So... I, I don't know. Who are these sexist people? It's women now. Women that don't want to see a woman president. And yet, on the other hand, we have all these women bemoaning the fact that Elizabeth Warren had to drop out because nobody was interested in her. So it was women who rejected Elizabeth Warren, essentially. Overwhelmingly. If women had voted for her, she might have stood a chance. But they didn't. Now, why not? Is that because they hate women? Because they don't want a woman president? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, the idea that because Pocahontas, a fake Indian, lost the primary is evidence of sexism. And it just goes to show you that women are facing such a daily struggle in this patriarchy. And now they're wondering if this will ever happen. As if there was nothing else wrong with Elizabeth Warren to begin with. Like, she had no other negative. She was the best candidate for the job, and all of these voters, especially women in the Democratic uh, primary, they were all voting against their own interests. They all voted against what they thought would be in their best interest and what they thought would be the best interest of the country because, yeah, sure, Elizabeth Warren, this fake Indian, was the best candidate for the job, but they just hate women so much. They're so prejudiced against women that they couldn't bring themselves to vote for her. So they voted for Bernie or they voted for Biden. I mean, come on. Come on. I mean, for one thing, you had Hillary Clinton as the nominee the last time around. So, I mean, the, this whole theory just goes out the window. The last time you had a female nominee. So what happened? What happened there? And Warren was a terrible candidate. She's just awful. Not only is she a fake Indian, she pretended to be an Indian multiple times in her life, tried to take advantage of that. She's a known liar, a known cheater, and she's just phony, phony baloney to the core. All these stories about her meemaw and granddaddy trying to drink a beer and taking selfies. Drinking a beer... Like she's just one of the guys, you know, this is all, oh, this is how I relax after work. I'm not some octogenarian. I take selfies and I drink beer just like you kiddos. 
If she was awkward, she was trying to be Bernie, just like she tried to be an Indian. And people can see through that. When you're trying to be something you're not, people can see through it. You come across as awkward. You look terrible. The American voters crave authenticity. And I've talked about this uh, um, within the last couple of months on this show, I'm sure. This fake politician crap that used to play so well to the electorate. Those days are gone. Donald Trump broke that system. You can't just get up there and spout out these meaningless platitudes. Those don't work anymore. I mean, say what you will about Donald Trump. Love him, hate him. He's authentic. He's not trying to be something that he's not. He's not pretending. That's who he is, a a big orange cartoon character. (laughs) And Bernie Sanders, like him or hate him, I think you know how I feel, actually believes a lot of the shit that he talks about. So he comes across as authentic. Elizabeth Warren is one of the most inauthentic people up there. She's as fake as you could be, and she's not likable. It always felt like she was just lecturing you, like you're being yelled at by your middle school teacher, scalded. So, I mean, there's plenty of things to not like about Elizabeth Warren. There were a million reasons not to vote for her. Her plans were terrible. Everything about her was bad. She had way too many negatives. The only reason she made it as far as she did was because she was a woman. If she wasn't a woman, she wouldn't even be up on that stage. Some old fake Indian person can't drink a beer to save her life? Uh, Why was she running for president? It was really only because she was a woman. That's it. She just couldn't come right out and say it. She had to pretend like she had all these great plans. No, she would have been laughed off that stage a long time ago if she wasn't a woman. That's the fact of the matter. And sexism didn't force Amy Klobuchar to drop out of the race. Sexism didn't force... Kamala Harris to drop out of the race. Klobuchar dropped out because of the DNC. The DNC pressured her to do that. And she's looking out for her best interest. She's going to get some sweetheart cabinet position. It wasn't, there was nothing sexist about that. You can't blame that on men voters. And like I said, if you really want a woman president, Tulsi Gabbard is still in the race. What is wrong with Tulsi Gabbard? I don't understand it. Somebody explain this to me from a Democratic voter perspective. What's the problem with Tulsi Gabbard? Go ahead. Try it. She's certainly more likable than any of the other women candidates that were running. Better looking than any of the the women candidates that were running. Looks are important in politicians. You can try to tell yourself that looks don't matter, but they do. Okay. She holds all of their positions uh, on all this crap. She just um, talks about war, first and foremost. O- okay. She still believes in all the Medicare for all, the, the free college, all that stuff. She's terrible on monetary policy, domestic policy, economic policy, from my perspective. But from the Democratic perspective, she says all the right things. What, what's the problem with Tulsi? And she's a woman, and she's a person of color. For some reason, that that doesn't count. I, I don't understand it. I, I don't know. It, whatever. But, I mean, if you really... There's your woman, okay? For all you women out there that are bemoaning the fact that, oh, well, now we can't have a woman. Yeah, you can. Go vote for Tulsi. She's still in the race. Still in the race. Yeah, she they, they keep changing the rules so she doesn't qualify for any of these debates. 
But who that's that's sexism? Is that sexism? And if so, who's perpetrating it? Would be the DNC, the Democratic National Committee. Can't blame the patriarchy for that. This is all just nonsense. Anyway, <laughs> um, Pocahontas is out. She um, hasn't endorsed anybody. Everybody was expecting this big endorsement of Bernie. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I I don't know why anybody would endorse Bernie at this point. I think the the, the chance to do that would have been bef- like before Super Tuesday. You drop out and then you endorse uh, Bernie. But now it's going to be too little too late. And why would you waste your endorsement on Bernie, who's looking more and more like a failed candidate as well? So I think she'll probably wait around and then endorse Biden, score some political points with Biden. I mean, it's it's possible Bernie could offer her something, and maybe he did. Maybe his people got to her and, and were like, listen, we need you to drop out of this race, and if I win and you endorse me, I'll get you X, Y, and Z. But she hasn't come out and endorsed him yet, so I don't know what she'd be waiting for. I, I think I think she'll endorse Biden. And Bernie, I mean, Bernie is such a pussy. He came out and said he'll endorse Joe Biden if he gets the nomination. And he even had a press conference last week after Super Tuesday where he talked about you know how much he liked Joe and respected Joe. They just disagree on a few things. Okay, so this is your big revolutionary figure, all you Bernie bros out there. This is the guy that's going to take on the establishment. He's going to take on the deep state. He's going to take on corporations. He's going to change the entire system, except that, uh, you know, he's also going to bend over the first chance he gets and endorse him, bend a knee for the establishment, endorse the face of the establishment. The guy that represents everything that's wrong for uh, with wrong with the system in Joe Biden. I mean, not only does he have this whole Ukraine thing hanging over his head with his son, but Bernie's always talking about railing about, oh, he's taking all this money from billionaires and, and Wall Street and bankers. And the implication being that he's corrupt, that he's a corrupt politician. And that's what's wrong with this system. There's too much money in politics. We got to get the money out of politics and I don't take any money from millionaires or billionaires, right? That's his whole thing. Well, it's just billionaires now. He doesn't take Wall Street's money. He doesn't take billionaire money. He doesn't take pharmaceutical money, oil money, none of that. It's all grassroots with him. But the implication being that Biden's a corrupt politician. He's everything that's wrong with the system. And yet he's going to endorse them no matter what. It's the same thing he did. You know, I've talked about how he was such a puss and there was no way that he would ever accomplish all the stuff that he talks about. I mean, what kind of revolutionary figure talks night and day about how corrupt the system is, how we need to revolt and change this whole thing? And like I said, get money out of politics and I'm going to stand up to the corporations and fight for the working man. And then he just bends over and supports whatever the establishment wants him to. After they screw him out of the nomination. That's your boy right there. Oh, you Bernie bros, you idiots. You idiots. He did the last he did the same thing the last time with Hillary Clinton. Uh, that should have let you guys know, all you Bernie bros out there, that he does not have the spine for this. He's a spineless coward. And how how are you going to change the system 
if you're unwilling to fight against it? How's that going to work out for Bernie Sanders? Because by endorsing somebody like Joe Biden, he's endorsing everything that he claims to be against. The Wall Street money, the billionaires, the corruption, they're all part of the problem. Biden's going to take their money and do their bidding and screw over the workers, do special favors for all the billionaire donors, and that's who you're endorsing now? Man, I've always talked about how he's got this chutzpah, got all this chutzpah, and um, man, he, he does have a ton of just shameless audacity. I just didn't think it was possible to have that much chutzpah and no balls whatsoever. Uh, Bernie Sanders is severely lacking in the testicular fortitude department. And Joe Biden, Joe Biden, I mean, it, it looks like he's going to get this nomination now. Super Tuesday was devastating for Bernie Sanders. Make no mistake about it. He had a ton of momentum going into that. He could have sealed the deal. He failed miserably. The path for him to this nomination, the more I think about it, is very very difficult, if not um, like outright impossible from here on out. I mean, Biden's got all the momentum now. He was having fundraising problems, but all that, that's over. He, he's going to get the cash flowing in. He's got all the endorsements from everybody that was running. I think we're still waiting for the Messiah to give him the nod, and that may be coming. I, I don't know. It, if Joe Biden could just shut up and stop making an ass of himself for a couple of days, maybe Biden would, or maybe Obama would come out and endorse him. And there, there's just no way around this. It, it looks like I was just way off uh, on my assessment of this. I, I, um, I was looking at the exit polls, and young people did not turn out to the polls to sub support Bernie. I really thought that that old dynamic of old people voting young people staying home i if you listen to the last episode or the episode before i can't remember which one it was but i talked about how i thought that dynamic was going to change this time around and that does not appear to be the case so you know i don't see how he can reach the required delegates to clinch it i, I don't i think that's a real long shot at this point and if he does well enough to get to a brokered convention, there's no chance he's going to get the nod. No chance they give it to him. Bernie's only hope is that Biden just has so many gaffes and idiotic statements that it somehow completely reverses everybody's inclination to vote for him in an incredible way. I mean, we'd have to see the same type of reversal in momentum that we saw on Super Tuesday, but back in Bernie's favor now. And that just doesn't seem likely at all. That, that was like a once in a, a generation. I, I've never seen a, a political campaign that was as dead as Joe Biden's. He had almost two feet in the grave, and he, he pulled out a, a massive win uh, on Super Tuesday. I, I don't think Bernie's got that in him especially now that he's just bending over for the establishment, losing all credibility. Now, I, I don't know what you know Biden can do that's worse than the things he's already done in the past that everybody knows about and that we all just seem to be ignoring. I, I talk about it all the time on this show, but the corporate press has given him cover. Um, nobody seems to care about any of these things that he's doing. 
or I guess they're just overlooking it. I mean, they, they see it and they just don't care. I don't know. I mean, I guess I severely underestimated the ridiculousness of the Democratic voter. I didn't think in a million years they would throw their support behind an old senile man who's not only always been a doofus, but he's rapidly, rapidly losing his faculties. And everybody knows this. He's saying idiotic, incoherent things left and right. He's touching children inappropriately. He's smelling their hair. He's nose-humping them. He's kissing his granddaughter on the lips multiple times, and he's still doing it. And he knows all of these clips are out there. People are making fun of him, and he just can't help himself. Some really creepy shit, especially in this Me Too moment that we just got out of. He was terrible in every debate. He represents everything the Democratic platform claims to be against in an old, rich, white man, the patriarchy, all that stuff. I mean, I don't know how I missed this, right? How did I get this wrong? <laughs> Who could have seen this coming? And even in hindsight, I still don't get it. How could anyone think that your best shot at beating Donald Trump is Joe Biden? It's beyond me at this point. I just don't see it. But you know what they say, and no one's ever gone broke underestimating the intelligence of the American people. And that, my God, does that hold true here. I mean, Biden is going to be a complete train wreck, and they're still going to vote for him. And, and by train like when I say train wreck, like he's going to be up on stage now just with one other person. He can't hide it anymore. There aren't 10 people up on stage. He doesn't just get to fade into the background and, and take a break and then speak uh, for a minute every 45 minutes. No, no, it's just going to be him and Bernie. And then, God forbid, him and Donald Trump. He's going to have to talk a lot more and a lot longer. And he couldn't do that already. He was losing his train of thought 30 seconds into his one-minute answers. You know, everybody else is going way over time. Minute and a half, two minutes. The uh, moderators are trying to shut him up, and they can't. Joe Biden's stopping after 30 seconds and yielding back his time, for Christ's sake. He's running out of things to say. He's losing his train of thought. And then when he finally realized how ridiculous that was, that he couldn't put together a sentence, uh, a one-minute response every 40 minutes or so, he would still stop short of his time because, you know, he's still forgetting what he's talking about and where he started talking just 40 seconds ago. And then for the remainder of his time, instead of just yielding it back, he would just complain about why he's stopping talking. So he would lose his train of thought, forget where he was going, and then he'd still have about 30 seconds left. And he would just be like, well, why am I stopping talking right now? This doesn't make any sense. Nobody else stops talking. I should just keep talking. Oh, well, uh, you know, now I'm out of time. <laughs> so, so that was his way of yielding back his time without coming outright and just saying, I yield back my time. I mean, this guy's going to be a disaster up there. And I, I mean, here, let's just play. I, I have some clips, and this is just from the last week. By the way, this is my little sister, Valerie, and I'm Jill's husband. Oh, no, this is switched on me. This is my wife. This is my sister. They switched on me. We hold these truths to be self-evident. 
All men and women created by the go, you know the you know the thing. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. All right, Chuck. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. Uh, it's Chris, I mean, but anyway. Chris. I just did Chris. No, no, I, I I just did Chuck. I tell you what, man, and these are back to back. Look, tomorrow's superstar Tuesday, and I want to thank you all. Well, I'm looking forward to appointing the first African American woman to the United States Senate. I tell you what, what a gigantic difference it's made. We're going to unite this party and unite this country. So folks, you want to nominate a Democrat, a lifelong Democrat, a proud Democrat, an Obama Democrat, join us. You want to nominate. Turn this primary from a campaign that's about negative attacks and the one about what we're for, because we cannot get re-elect, we cannot win this re-election, excuse me, we can only re-elect Donald Trump. Okay, you got that? We can't win this, we can only re-elect Donald Trump. He nailed it. He just nailed it. And all of those things, I'm pretty sure those are all within the last week. And when he's not talking, he's molesting little kids. This is who people are voting for now. And, you know, maybe they've been able to ignore it so far. The corporate press will do their best to throw him shade, you know. But I I don't know. Are they so blinded by their Trump derangement syndrome that they can overlook all of these problems? I, I don't know. I mean, how you could have faith in a candidate like that. I've never seen a candidate that bad. That's just that bad at talking. It's unbelievable. And, you know, the, the Biden-Bama <laughs> campaign, or whatever. that could just as easily happen to anybody who's talking for a long time. Just believe me, you know, I, I talk into this microphone. I, I'm sure I make it seem very easy to just talk, but it's not. It's a lot harder than it looks. So uh, on top of that, though, he, he's losing his mind. And, and then he's doing all this weird, creepy stuff. But I guess, you know, looking back, I, I should have just realized that one of the dumbest decisions the American voters could have made would, in fact, be the one that they choose. And that is Joe Biden. I don't understand why people think he has a better shot at beating Donald Trump than a, a Bernie Sanders would. Um, I will say this, though. It, it looks like and we'll get into the economy here in a minute. It looks like these economic bubbles you know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, I've been talking about this. This economy is one giant bubble. We've got a huge bubble in the stock market, a huge bubble in the bond market. It's all funded by the, the Federal Reserve and all this cheap money that they've been creating. But these have been bubbles that have been floating around just looking for a pin to pop them. They may have found their pin in this coronavirus. It looks like the party is over. For the stock market, I mean, it is. Oh, we've we've officially closed. So the the Dow closed down two thousand fourteen points, two thousand thirteen point eight. That's seven point seven nine percent down today. We are now at, and if you've been trying to keep track of of these levels that I've been talking about, we're at twenty three thousand eight fifty one. 
you know, I've done a little bit of technical uh, analysis here on the show for you guys, but the key resistance level was 26,700 thereabouts, right? And we tested that three times. We finally broke above it back in uh, October or November of last year. And when we fell below that, I was telling you to watch that level because we needed to get back above 26,700 in order to get that support. And the highest we got, we touched 27,000 and we went right back down. And then we've just been sinking like a stone from there. We are now, we have blown through all of these support. There is nothing but air from 23,829 to about 18,000. 18,000 is, is the next major support area. There is like a little bit of structure support. You could, I guess you could say at about, about right where we are right now, maybe about 300 points lower and maybe a little bit at about 20,000. But there is nothing from a, a technical analysis perspective that, that, that looks promising as far as the stock market is concerned. Bond yields are at all-time lows. The bond market, the 10-year treasury is at 0.579. It got as low as 0.36 today. 0.36 is the yield on a 10-year treasury. So if you loan your money for 10 years to the government, they will pay you a return of 0.36. That is a 25% drop. And it well, it actually at 0.58, that's a 25% drop. I don't even know what how big of a drop it was when we touched down around 0.36 at the open. Some of these markets, I think the the Nasdaq or the S and P, uh, they had to halt trading because the they have these levels that if you hit them, they will just shut the market down. If the market goes down too fast or up too fast, they will halt trading, and they did that. At when it was down 7%, they halted trading in, in some of these markets. Crude oil is also down 25% today, and that's got the markets freaking out. We are at $30 a barrel for oil now. There are um, really bad economic indicators all over the place. And, and what's going on with oil? Well, they're going to try to make this sound like it's bad. It's bad for the markets. And while it is bad for oil companies... Make no mistake about it. It's good for you and me. We're about to save a bunch of money on gas. Um, but what what's happening there is, you know, the Saudis, they want to cut down on the on the supply of oil, the, the number of barrels that they're producing every day or whatever. They want to they want to cut down on that to to keep prices up. You know, if you want to keep prices up, you start limiting the supply. And the Russians don't want to do that because if they keep oil prices higher, the, the shale oil supply from the U.S. starts looking more and more attractive. And Russia doesn't like the, the U.S. supplying people with oil. So Russia has come out and they're saying that they're willing to basically take a hit in the short term. Putin says he can do this for five to ten years. He can um, supply oil at these prices and, and just sort of wait it out until somebody somebody else cries uncle. And so the, the Saudis are, are, are saying, okay, you want to play that game? We'll ramp up our supply and make that price go down even lower. 
and the and Russia's calling their bluff, and so they're cranking up supply, and so the price is plummeting. And you know, Russia doesn't. You know, all these sanctions we have on Russia. Don't think that that doesn't play a part in their decision to try to stick it to the U.S. Anyway, that's what's causing the price of oil to drop. No doubt the Federal Reserve is panicking. They already slashed rates last week by 50 basis points. That was the biggest rate cut we've seen in a while. They usually do 25 uh, basis point cuts, and they did 50. Uh, Wall Street, who's been completely addicted to this cheap money coming from the Fed, they're already expecting another 50 basis point cut this month in interest rates. And like I said, the 10 years already at historic lows. We can't go much lower than 0.36. After that, we're looking at negative territory on the 10-year on the treasury. So this, this whole Federal Reserve experiment in quantitative easing, and if you have not listened to my episode on quantitative easing, you're going to want to go back and listen to that because it's going to become a lot more relevant over the next couple of uh, weeks, couple of months, you know, that whole experiment was a failure. And I, I don't have time to keep, you know, rehashing all these topics. I don't want to do news in a vacuum here. I don't want to do topics in a vacuum. So I want to build off of the things we've already talked about. But QE has officially failed. and But that doesn't mean that they won't go back to it and try to do it again. They will cut rates to zero. They will ramp QE back up again even though they've technically really been doing it for a while now. They will officially ramp that program back up, and this may be the dose that kills the drug addict, as I talked about. But there is a lot of time between now and November, and I have no idea how much longer they can keep this propped up. They can do, like I said, more QE, rates to zero. They may even go negative. But they, they can also come up with like a stimulus package. They'll, they'll try that, I'm sure. You know, when George W. Bush was just cutting checks, every American got a check in the mail. None of these things are good for the economy. None of them will actually solve the underlying fundamental problems, fund, fundamental economic problems that we face. Just simply creating money out of thin air and giving it to people to spend does not help the economy. All of these things distort the economy. All of this Fed intervention is what's making the economy sicker, but that doesn't mean they're not going to try it. And that doesn't mean that it won't give the illusion of health for just a little longer to at least get Donald Trump reelected. But the damage has already been done. And once that bubble is pricked, doesn't matter what happens with the, the thing that pricked it. doesn't matter what happens with the coronavirus. They could come up with a cure tomorrow, and they can't repair the damage that has been done to the economy. Everybody is all, is all of a sudden realizing just how fragile everything was and that this supposedly great economy, the strongest ever on record according to Donald Trump, it was nothing but an illusion. They're realizing that the emperor has no clothes and the Fed has no more bullets to fire. It can't really cut rates much farther. We're almost at zero. So they're going to have to choose between propping up the stock market or preserving what's left of the purchasing power of the dollar. And either way, that is a bad position to be in for Donald Trump because we're headed for a recession. 
if we're not already in one. You know, it's kind of hard to tell. You need back-to-back quarters of negative growth in order to technically be in a recession. And to be in a, a bear market, you need a 20% retrace. But um, with the way that they revise all these numbers retroactively, we won't know for a while when this recession officially started. But if they prop up the stock markets, the only way they can do that is by running the printing press, by creating money out of thin air. And then you'll get the runaway inflation. If they raise interest rates to try to fight the inflation to save the dollar, well, then the bond bubble bursts, the stock market tanks. You see, they've painted themselves into a corner. There is no escaping this. They've been kicking this can down the road for more than a decade, and we are rapidly running out of road if we're not already out of it. Okay, They can't do this much longer. And if they can't stave it off until November, till after this election, that is Joe Biden's only hope, as far as I'm concerned, of beating Donald Trump. Because what's Donald Trump's pitch to the American people, right? Everything's terrific. This is the best economy ever. Look at how much money everybody's made in the stock market. You'll notice that you haven't heard him tweeting about how great the stock market's been the last couple of weeks, have you? Because we're back, we're right back where we were in stock market and in the Dow Jones as we were in January of 2019. We've erased an entire year and a quarter worth of gains in just a week. You know, Donald Trump, I promised to make America great again, and I did. And now it's we're going to keep America great again. Uh, that's his new slogan, right? Well, that's uh, it's not such a great slogan. Make America great again. That was great. That was a, a good slogan. Keep America great. There are a lot of problems with that type of slogan, even if we weren't in a recession. Because if everything is an illusion, as I've been saying, and all of these numbers and all of these stats that are coming from all of these government statistics, there are a lot of people out there who were disillusioned under Obama that voted for Donald Trump, and they're still not feeling so great. They are still in essentially the same situation they were in before. You know, Donald Trump claims that we've had this miraculous recovery, but everybody is still saddled with debt. Household debt through the roof. Credit card debt through the roof. Student loan debt through the roof. Mortgage debt through the roof. Uh, we're in debt up to our eyeballs. If we were really having a true economic recovery, when you're doing well economically, you're not taking on more debt. You pay down your debt when you're doing well. If you run into somebody on the street, you ask them how are things going, they, they're not going to say, oh, everything's amazing. I just... uh I just took out a second mortgage on my house. I, I, I took out another loan from, to pay for my car. My student loan debt's still outstanding. That's not what they would say. They'd say, no, every, everything's great. I just paid off my mortgage. I just paid off my car. I've got all this money saved up, and I'm paying down my debt. I'm debt-free. That would be the indication that we had a strong economic recovery, a real economic recovery. We have none of that. And all of those people whose debt is through the roof, they're probably not feeling so great. So why would they want to keep things the way they are? And if you throw a recession in on top of that, a major recession, the popping of the biggest equity and bond bubbles in history, 
the Donald Trump's entire campaign will fall apart. It, it just completely falls apart. He took ownership of this phony economy. I said from the very beginning that that was a mistake. Nothing changed economically from Barack Obama to Donald Trump. It was a phony economic recovery under Barack Obama. Trump pointed that out when he was a candidate. It remained phony under Trump, but he decided to take credit for fixing everything. Once he put his name on it, magically everything got awesome. So he's been bragging about all these jobs he's creating, but where have all the jobs been? And where were the vast majority of the jobs that were created under Barack Obama? Aside from government jobs, they were all in the service industry, food, hotels, leisure. And now if you think about all this panic over the coronavirus, where do you think the first major wave of job losses are going to come from? You think people are traveling now? You think they're staying in hotels, going out to crowded restaurants to eat? You think they're going to be doing a lot of that in the near future? I don't think so. No. So we're going to see job losses, not only in manufacturing due to lack of demand. Uh, most likely, we're going to see a lot of these service sector jobs disappear. If they aren't outright fired, They'll certainly, you know, they certainly won't be hiring anytime soon. So the next few job reports that are going to come out, they're going to be pretty low, I'd imagine. You know, the, the most recent ones haven't um, reflected a time period when the coronavirus was really going ballistic and wreaking havoc. Now it has. And February was like when it really started to get kind of bad. So the February jobs numbers, ooh, look out. And then March, who, who we'll have to wait till April to get some of those. But, you know, these unemployment numbers, which are, remember, a lagging indicator, they, they look backwards, they're going to start to mount. And Trump is on very thin ice right now. And if it doesn't hold until November, till the November election, he could be very beatable, regardless of who the candidate is, even if it's a, a bumbling idiot like Joe Biden. But will he, will Biden have the faculty to be able to make the case for why the American people should go with him over Donald Trump in the face of a crisis? That's the other sort of dynamic at play, right? Because, you know, maybe, maybe he can. I mean, it's an easy case to make. It's sort of the case that he's been making, right? I'm Obama's guy. Things were great under Obama. Then Trump came in and screwed everything up. Let's go back to Obama. The problem, other than the fact that Joe Biden can barely get a sentence out, but the other problem with that is that there were a lot of people who didn't buy that bullshit when Obama was president. That's why they voted for Trump. Hillary was making that case. Four more years of Obama, and a lot of people said, no, thank you. I'll go with Donald Trump. And if Biden can't articulate himself in complete sentences... There will be a lot of concerned Americans who, yeah, maybe we're in a recession. Maybe it looks like the world is ending. Can we really turn over the reins to this guy, to Joe Biden, who's clearly lost his marbles? And, I mean, make no mistake about it, that's what Trump is going to hit him with. Constantly, constantly hit him with that. If he doesn't have the stock market to brag about, he'll just beat up on Joe Biden's dementia. And it does not look good for, for the economy in the, in the next six months or so. 
So he, he probably won't have that stock market to fall back on to brag about. Uh, but we'll see. I know that the, they'll do everything they can. Like I said, you can probably expect a stimulus check in the mail. I think that will be their last resort. And um, that, that'll be Biden's only shot, as far as I'm concerned, is like a complete economic collapse coupled with an uncontrollable virus wreaking havoc on the world. <laughs> then he can beat Donald Trump. Short of that, I, I don't see it. But, you know, what the hell do I know? I've clearly been wrong before because we're here. But I still think that Bernie Sanders is the best candidate, at least of the ones that we have to choose from, who can make that case. Not only can he take away the sort of outsider, anti-establishment thing that Donald Trump has going for him because Bernie Sanders is just as anti-establishment as Donald Trump, and Donald Trump hasn't drained the swamp at all, but Bernie Sanders can make the case that, yeah, the, the economy is terrible under Trump and it was terrible under Obama as well. And it's all this corporations and the billionaires and none of that changed under Obama. Income inequality soared under Obama. And we don't want to go back to that either. We need to completely overhaul this whole thing. Right. That's a far more compelling case as far as I'm concerned than anything Joe Biden can say. So where do we go from here? Right. I just sort of outlined a pretty dire economic situation. Things aren't looking good on that front. One way or the other, we're going to have either Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders as president. Cyclically, we're due for a recession. They can't stave it off forever. We all know that, right? And, and now we got this coronavirus thing. Uh, where do we go from here? What do we do, right? For one thing, I, yes, things do look pretty dire. But I don't think that this is going to be the end of the world, okay? And even if it is the end of the world, like what is anything we plan to do now gonna, gonna help in that situation? The world's either gonna end or it's not. So planning for the end of the world is kind of pointless. And it's a very rare occurrence, right? Yeah, planning for the end of the world, it's only gonna happen once. And by the time it does, you know, you're already fucked, so who cares? And, you know, if I can bring this back, because I'm sure a lot of people are asking, well, what, what do I do? How do I, how do I protect myself? What do I do with this economic collapse coming? And, you know, I, I can't, I don't, I don't want to give people investment advice. I'm not qualified to do that. You know, I don't think this coronavirus is, like I said, nearly as bad as anybody thinks it, everybody thinks it is. And, you know, I, I don't think that commerce will grind to a halt. I, I think people's, behaviors will change we'll start seeing a lot of people working from home quarantining themselves ordering stuff online having it shipped to them ordering food you know through grubhub and things like that so i i think commerce will still take place it's just going to change in form a little bit maybe we'll see more automation there will be people that lose their jobs so if you're in an industry that might be particularly vulnerable to something that the coronavirus could have an effect on you know you want to plan for that you always want to be investing in yourselves and building your human capital so that if something were to happen to your current gig you have something else to fall back on and if you're invested in the stock market you've had quite a run up it's probably a good idea to take some of that money off the table maybe start looking towards some safe haven assets some precious metals gold, silver, things like that. I don't know. Consult your um, 
consult a, a qualified money manager if that's what you're concerned about. You know, I think I've done a pretty good job of laying out what the problems are. And if you think I'm right, you, you need to come up with what the best approach to safeguarding your particular situation is. Because I, I, I do think that this, this stock market could easily get cut in half from where the highs were. And I'm sure we all have 401ks. And, and, and part, of the, part of the problem with all this government intervention and these federal, uh, the Federal Reserve keeping interest rates so low is that nobody can get a yield anywhere else. You're not earning any money on your savings. What's your bank paying you on your savings account? Uh, less than 1%? Oh, okay. Uh, inflation's running at at least 2%. So every year you're losing money on your savings. It's not an accident that you can't earn anything on your savings and nobody in America is saving any money. It, they've essentially forced people to gamble in the Wall Street casino, to gamble in the stock market when they have no business being there. And this whole thing where you just throw your money in the stock market and ride it out, you know, that just uh, over the next like 50 years, you'll, you'll come out ahead. I, I, I don't like that sort of investment advice. Um, I, I can't time the markets. Nobody can really time the markets. But the, the uh, upside potential versus the downside potential, if you're being honest about it, the, the downside's looking a lot uh, more vicious than any potential upside you could get at this point. So maybe you want to sit on the sidelines for a while, keep your powder dry, and, and look for some bargains to buy up. And if you know people stop uh, shopping till they drop and stop going out to eat and spending all this money, and oil is at $30 a barrel, well, then people will have some money. To, they'll start saving some money up. They'll have a pool of savings on which to draw from, and they can figure out the best way of allocating that capital, putting it to good use. Put it towards something that you understand. Put it towards something that can generate you revenue in the future. Uh, put it somewhere where, you know, inflation can't destroy what you've saved. And if you haven't saved that much, maybe, you know, maybe buying stuff like toilet paper and razor blades and, and toothpaste and things like that, you know, they're not going to go bad. They're non-perishables. You know you're going to need them. Uh, that, that's probably the easiest way that you can protect yourself from uh, a highly inflationary environment. But the most important thing, what your goal should be, is to maximize your liberty to maximize your freedom. You don't want to be dependent on anybody. And that's what, you know, this whole coronavirus thing is sort of illustrating. And when you get into like a, an economic collapse scenario, you start to realize just how vulnerable we all are and how dependent we are on other people. You want to get to a point where you can control the source of your income. A lot of people think that the safe move is to work a nine to five job for somebody else every day, punching a clock, getting that pension. Well, maybe, maybe not. How much longer are they going to be in business? A lot of these companies have borrowed way too much money to pay back. And now that they don't have money coming in, they can't make the debt service payments. They're as levered up as the American people are. So you don't know if you're always going to have that job or if that pension will be there for you down the road. That, that's just as risky of a thing as go, going out on your own and trying to generate your own income, as far as I'm concerned. 
And this is why I always talk about not being dependent. You don't want to be dependent on a government or a government program either for your survival. That's the last thing you want to be dependent on. I mean, for one thing, look around. These governments are in shambles. They can't even handle like the, the early onset of the coronavirus. They fumbled that one miserably. So you don't want to be depending on the government for your livelihood. You don't want to be dependent on anybody, really, except yourself. So try to get yourself to a, a point where, you know, you're not tied down to one location. We have mobile income. That should be everybody's goal, to be able to earn a living from anywhere in the world, wherever you want, whenever you want, to not be tied down, not be dependent on a, on a certain job, a certain location, a certain government. You just want to be able to get out of there when the time comes. And, um, you know, like I said, the odds of everywhere in the world going down the tubes at the same time are very unlikely. So th there should always be somewhere that you can go to escape whatever problem you're facing. You just have to be in a position to be able to do that. And um, if you own property, you should probably look into refinancing whatever your mortgage is. You could probably get an unbelievably low mortgage rate right now, but I bet you you can get a, a rate at around 3% on a 30-year fixed mortgage, no problem. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that is free money, okay? Inflation is well over 3%. I don't care what the CPI says. If you can borrow money for 30 years at 3%, you should do that. <laughs> you should absolutely do that. You're losing more to inflation than that every year. I guarantee it. And, um, ooh, buckle up. It's going to be a very interesting ride from here on out. And it, you know, it makes you wonder about that whole fourth turning episode I did at the end of the year or the beginning of this year. Very interesting times coming, coming up ahead. Be safe, everybody. Make sure you download and subscribe and share the show. You can, you can share this episode on, on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever. You can share this episode electronically. You won't have to touch anybody's hands. You don't have to worry about getting the virus. All right. So go ahead and share the show with everybody. Start looking into ways that you can protect whatever fortune you have from these tough economic times that are ahead. And um, look for opportunity because there, you know, huge fortunes are won and lost in these uh, tumultuous economic times. But you know, some of the biggest fortunes ever were made in the depths of uh, Great Depression. So keep your powder dry. Look for that opportunity. Be safe. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. Check out our website, pedalingfictionpodcast.com. You can donate to the show from there. And if you can do all that, I will be back later this week with a brand new episode. Until then, just remember to keep on pedaling that so-called fiction. Peace.